I want to repeat something Trevor said at the beginning, um, <laughs> uh, just because I think it, it deserves being said again. It's really great to see y'all right here front and center, right? Can we give a hand to our students for being up here, chasing after Jesus? It's been an awesome weekend. And I know there's a bunch of tired people right here. And so we're going to press through this together because we think God's got a word for us today that's worth listening to. Uh, so we're going to press through and engage this morning and kind of set the tone. We're kicking off a new sermon series this morning. It'll be our summer sermon series, at least that's the plan, unless God has a different plan, he interrupts us, but our, our plan for the summer is to to do a series called God Is, and uh, we started this Sunday after Easter with a series called Love Is, and we, uh, we, we went through these descriptions from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, kind of verse by verse, and phrase by phrase or thought by thought about what love really is. And every single one of those observations brought us back to, well, that's who God is. God is love. And so uh, really that was the the launch pad for this series of, of really spending uh, a summer studying and, and, and focusing on who God is. And so I'm going to invite you to, we're going to dive right in, grab your Bible if you would this morning. Uh, let me say to our guests, we have a tradition here uh, that we hold up our Bibles and we say a creed together, uh, kind of as a family before we jump in and a prayer together. And if that's not where you're at on your spiritual journey, don't feel any pressure to participate in that today. But if that's where you are, then man, will you declare this with us this morning as we proclaim this in faith today? So hold up our Bibles and let's say this together. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Please turn to Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter number 9. If you've been around church for a long time, this might be a familiar passage to you. Jeremiah chapter number nine. We're only going to look at two verses this morning as we're setting the stage for this summer together of growing in our understanding of who God is. Jeremiah chapter number nine. We'll start in verse number 23. Thus says the Lord. I love when a verse begins that way. Verse number 23. Thus says the Lord. I feel like there should be music. Like whenever we read the words, thus says the Lord, it should be like, dun, 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 you know, like the little thing from Crude's, like the belt. No. Okay. Um, I feel like that should be dramatic theme music because I believe that all of this book is God's word. We just said that creed together. But then there's those other times where he's like going to be real obvious about it. Like, hey, listen up, y'all. This is me. <laughs> right. This is one of those moments This is the voice of God speaking to us this morning. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Hey, I'm really smart. Do you know that? Let me tell you how smart I am. God's like, yeah, don't do that. Right? And we think of boasting as, as bragging, right? Like, let me, let me tell you how smart I am. But this is one of those words, and y'all hear me use this phrase a lot, but this is one of those words that's meant to be a picture word that we kind of miss in English sometimes, the picture being painted here. The word boast here is literally the word shine. Don't shine a light on your wisdom. 
Right? So, give me just a minute. I'm really smart. God said, don't do that. Right? That's pretty obnoxious. Let me tell you about how wise I am. Here's the problem with shining a light on our wisdom. You're going to meet somebody wiser than you at some point in time in your journey. As a matter of fact, if you're boasting about your wisdom, that's actually a sign that you probably need a dose of, wait for it, (laughs) wisdom. Eventually, you're going to run into one of the other 7.674 billion people on planet Earth, and you're going to meet some dude from NASA or maybe an attendant at a gas station that you realize is smarter than you, and you're like, oh, I'm not as smart as I thought I was. That's the thing, right? There's only one valedictorian. And even when you're the valedictorian, you end up meeting the valedictorian from the Gifted school for the smart kids dot net edu. You know, you're like, oh, I'm not that smart. One of the things we actually talked about together this weekend is how the comparison game always ends up in a loss. If you're anybody other than God, then playing the comparison game is always going to result eventually in coming up short. So don't let the wise man shine a light on his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Here's the thing about being strong. Eventually you're going to run into somebody stronger. And for some of us, that's far more frequent than not. Right? A lot of you guys know one of my best friends is Brian Loveless. The reason he's one of my best friends is because if you ever come after me, my intention is to hide behind him and push him towards you. Because he's stronger than, like, Jesus. No, he's he's strong, dude. Let not the, might, the, the mighty man shine a light on his might, because eventually... And here's the thing. Some of you are like, I used to be strong. <laughs> it's not just that if we compare ourselves, somebody's going to be stronger than us. Some of us in the room are like, I used to be a lot stronger than I am now, right? I mean, like, we're not shaped like we used to be, right? <laughs> if you don't use it, you lose it. No, it's, it's been gone. Like, it, we lost, that's decades ago. So that's not something worth shining a light on. It's something that's fragile and fickle and comes and goes. And if that's fragile and fickle, good grief, look at the third place to not shine a light. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Don't boast, don't shine a light on your wealth. Because if there's anything we've learned in the last year and a half, economies are a fragile thing, right? For pretty much everybody other than the Clorox company. (laughs) Because those dudes are rolling in it. And I don't mean sanitizer, although they might be rolling in that too. Like they're, wow, who thought a wipe would ever make that much money? But everybody else, it's like, wow, this whole thing is fragile and it's fickle. And so if we're going to shine a light on something, let's shine a light on something that endures, that can last, that's worth 
like rooting our life in that's worth being a foundation. So that's what we're not supposed to shine a light on. Verse 24. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That's the heart of what we're going to talk about. Let's go ahead and finish the verse, and then we'll come back and kind of park on this understanding and knowing him. Understands and knows me that I am Yahweh. Remember, anytime you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in the Bible, capital Lord, that's a reference to the personal name of God. Those of you who have been in church for a while, that's the burning bush moment where Moses is supposed to go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And he's like, I need a name. I need a name bigger than my name. Give me your name. God speaks from that burning bush. Tell them, I am sent you. He so much is God that his name is, is. And what I love is, is what God is speaking to us today is if you want to shine a light on something, shine a light on the fact that I am, I am. That's good. Like he so much is that he is, is. That's our God, y'all. Like he double is. <laughs> God. You want to shine a light on something? Shine a light on this. I'm God. That I am. I am. And then he gives three descriptions of himself. I'm the Lord who practices steadfast love. This is the idea of enduring kindness Motivated by love. I'm the God who practices, and that doesn't mean practice like he's trying to get better at it, by the way. It's like the way a physician has a practice, right? This means he does it. God's not trying to get better at this. He practices enduring loving kindness and justice, which in our worldview sometimes seems like they're at odds. If God's going to be really loving, then he can't punish wrongdoing. That's justice, right? He's got to overlook all of that. And he's like, no, I'm so incredible that I can be really loving and really just at the exact same time. We'll talk more about that later this summer. I'm the God who practices steadfast love. I'm the God who practices justice. And I'm the God who practices righteousness in the earth. Every right thing that you've ever experienced, every good thing you've ever seen, tasted, smelled, Every good thing that's ever crossed your path was an expression of who God is. Everything right is his move among his creation. I'm the God who practices righteousness in the, in the earth. And by the way, he delights in all of that. I delight in these things, declares the Lord. So here's where we will park this morning. That God, who does those things, says if you want to shine a light on something in your life, shine your light on this, that you understand and know me. And i got to be honest with you, that sounds really 
daunting. Let's just leave verse 24 up there for a minute, Henry. Let's just park there for a minute. Because I, I want to like, I wish I had a pen and Lance would have a heart attack if I drew on this TV. Like, doesn't that sound arrogant? Maybe I struggle with that. Like when I read that, let him who boasts, boast in this. I understand God. Doesn't that sound like, ew? Like, good for you, church boy. And so it sounds either really intimidating or really arrogant to me, unless we define what God means by understanding him and knowing him. Because the word understand here in, in the Hebrew language is pointing two different directions. That, that can be translated someone uh, looking at something. Paying attention to it. Turning your, your gaze towards something. That you're, you're paying attention to it. And then it can mean a second thing, not just attention. It can mean to ponder. To think about. To consider. Not to have it all figured out. Because I'm here to tell you, if you understand everything about God this morning... I believe I'm on a mission from God, like the Blues Brothers. I'm on a mission from God to tell you, no, you don't. And the first way I know that you don't understand everything there is to know about God is if you think you understand everything there is to know about God. But if what understanding means is that we've oriented our life a Godward direction. (laughs) That's good. That we're looking his direction, we're paying attention for what he's up to, and then we're thinking about the moving work of that God. That's the idea of understanding. If there's anything worth rooting our life in, if there's anything worth shining a light on in our life, it's that we're looking for the move of God and considering what he's doing on planet earth. That's what it is to understand God. That's a lot less intimidating and a lot less arrogant. (laughs) That we've turned our attention towards what he's up to. Here's what he means by know. That he understands and knows me. Not knows about me. And thank goodness not knows all about me. That he knows me. So some of you might know a whole lot about your favorite athlete. Like, you know, their birth date and like where they got married and whatever. Some of you might know a whole lot about your favorite actor. Some of you might know a whole lot about an an influencer on YouTube, which isn't actually a thing. It's not real. But maybe that's your thing. And you're like, I know what brand of shoes they wear. You might know all kinds of things about them. One of the fastest growing corners of YouTube are videos of children playing with toys that our children don't own. And they watch other children play with those toys. Do you know this? That sounds miserable. Love does not envy. (laughs) You might know a ton of stuff about that person. But you don't know them 
As a matter of fact, when you, when you start to act like you know a famous person, that's called stalking. <laughs> that's when a dude with little things in his ears comes up and goes, excuse me. <laughs> You're going to have to step aside. There's a big difference between knowing about and knowing. And I think churches are populated by people who know a lot about God. But I don't know how well they know him. Because what the word know means here is a personal, relational, individual kind of knowing. Like the way a person knows another person. And God's saying if there's anything worth shining a light on, it's that I've invited you to know me. Not to know facts about me, not to answer the right questions about me, not to quote stuff about me, but to know me. That we're close. (laughs) We're doing life together. That you know me in an acquainted kind of way. Not just knowing more about God. Our, Our hope this summer is not just to know more about God. It's to know God more. Now, part of knowing God more is knowing more about God. But that's the, the means to an ends. When I was y'all's age, I read a book by an old dead guy named A.W. Tozer who said the Bible is not an end, it's a means to an end. I, my goal in life is not to know more about a book, it's to know the God who lives inside the book and meets me inside the book. He's the point, He's the goal. That we would not know more just about him, but that we would know him more. And I just recently heard uh, Judah Smith say this. If we really believe there is a God, like a God, God. Like if we believe there is a God, wouldn't we want to know him more? Right? Maybe that's not as like... Huh, for you as it is for me. Like, do you believe there is a one true living God? Do you believe that? Wouldn't we want to know him? (laughs) You know, like if there's anybody we want to know, how about God? It just makes sense. And if there's anything worth shining a light on, It's that. So the message of the culture is this. If you know yourself better, you can flourish in life. Self-discovery, self-awareness, self-empowerment. The goal of all modern therapy is that, that you'll get more and more touch with yourself. And literally, the the message of the Bible is like, if you continue to look within, you're going to continue to have a lot of questions and a lot of despair. It's not in knowing yourself that you find life. It's only in knowing the one who made yourself. It's only in knowing the one whose image that you bear that life's going to make sense, have meaning, or have purpose. Only in knowing God better can I flourish. That's the reward. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says that God rewards those who seek Him. Back in the day, Me and my brothers would fight about who got the prize at the bottom of the cereal box, right? The ridiculous, terrible toy that would break in three seconds. 
I'm telling you, like, blood was shed to get to the bottom of the cereal box. So if there's a reward in seeking after God, what's the prize at the bottom of the box? Himself. He's the prize. The reward in pursuing more of God is God. He's inviting us to himself. Whenever, whenever people first fall in love with somebody and they talk constantly about that person and everybody in their life finds it wildly annoying. Right? Like if you say his name one more time, he's going to speak at your wake. Say his name again. I'm just, right? Drives their friends crazy. And they're like, but if you just knew him like I knew him. Right? And then you're like, sweetie, we know the real him. He ain't all that. Like, <laughs> if you just knew her. But that's a thing, right? Like if we're growing in the knowledge of God, the people around us are going to be like, why are you so obsessed with him? And the answer is, if you just knew him. <laughs> You'd want to know him too. That's our hope this summer, that, that we'll grow to know him more. Because I can only really trust what I know. Like my faith is only as good as its object, right? Like what I'm trusting in has got to be worth trusting in. If I'm going to trust. And so maybe for some of us, it's we see other people trusting God more. And we're like, I wish I had more faith. Maybe they have more understanding. Maybe they're paying more attention and thinking more rightly about God. Not that they have more faith. They're growing in knowing him. And sometimes we think the same thing about worship. We're like, I wish I had that passionate love for God. When maybe it's not that we need more love, it's that we need more attention. Maybe they've just turned their focus towards knowing him more. And what I believe is, if we will orient our life a Godward direction and grow to know him more, we will trust him more and we will love him more. I don't know that we need a great awakening of worship in this church. I think we need a great awakening of how grand and glorious and amazing our God is. Because if we saw him for just a glimpse of who he was, we would not be able to help but trust his heart and sing his praise and live for his renown and speak his glory to a hurting world. We wouldn't be able to contain it. We can't trust what we don't know and we can't love what we don't know, which is why, again, quoting Tozer, he said the most important thing about any person is what comes to our mind when we think about God. What comes to our mind. The good news about this text this morning is the first blank to fill in. This actually isn't on the screens. This is just a freebie this morning. The first blank that we fill in in this sermon series is this. God is knowable. He's knowable. 
He's not playing some celestial grand hide and seek. Right? I got to be honest with you. I hated the game hide and seek as a kid. Because I'm the youngest in the family. My brothers were better at it than me. And I, I think I've told this story before, but it's been a long time. For a certain season of life, we lived in Tennessee and we were helping take care of this lady who owned this giant barn that had one horse in it. And so it was mostly empty. There were all these phenomenal hiding spaces with snakes in them. So I was terrified of all the best hiding spaces. So to go look for them, you have to look in all of those spaces. I hated it. I would get to the barn and realize, oh, that's right, I'm scared. And they're hiding. And I'm supposed to be seeking, but I'm kind of just stuck. I'm so glad that's not the game that God is playing with us. He's revealed himself to us. That's what we're going to explore this summer is he's like, here I am. You can turn your attention and your thoughts towards me and know me personally. I'm not playing hide and seek. He's knowable. And all of us know something about God. Or at least we think we know. Let me say this. with Every single one of us is a theologian. Every one of these students are theologians. We're all theologians. You're like, I never went to seminary. I've not even been a Christian that long. Maybe you're sitting in this room and you would say, I don't believe in God. That's a theological view. Every atheist that's ever lived was a theologian. They had a doctrine of God. Every person is a theologian, not just the atheist, but your neighbor who slept in this morning, who sleeps in every Sunday morning because he just thinks none of this is that important. That's a theology. Irrelevance is a belief about God. He doesn't really matter all that much. Your buddy that texts you pictures of the giant fish he caught this morning while you're sitting in here, that's a theological declaration. God's less important than this fish. The person who shows up every week and kind of sits at a church somewhere in the United States of America and just is like, I'm here. Are we done? What's for lunch? That's a theology. That is a view of God. And the person who can't wait to hear from God's word and can't wait to sing God praises, uh, God's praises with his people, that's a theology too. And everything in between. Everyone's a theologian. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Our theology is either true or it's not. Our view of God is either accurate or lesser than. It's not greater than, I promise you. So let me tell you about this article this week that went viral. Huffington Post published an article this week um, about some data that's recently been released about the um, social media and online habits of the younger generation, teenagers and young adults. 
And the, the research they've been doing recently is about the trend of using apps like Photoshop or Facetune to edit your pictures before posting them. And probably in the least surprising article ever published, they were like, it's really trending up. More and more people are using Facetune or Photoshop or some kind of photo editing app before they post a photo of themselves. And, and, and here's the thing. Why would somebody feel the need to change the way they look before they show who they really are? Maybe they're afraid that people won't think they're good enough or pretty enough or tall enough or skinny enough or have enough hair. Is that an app? Can I put hair on my more hair? Okay. Anyways, sorry. I just thought, so somebody texted me that. Um, trying to change the way the world sees us because we have some fear of being accepted. We have some fear of not being good enough. But here's the thing. That's not really us. An edited, filtered version of us isn't the real us. And the reason I don't ever filter my pictures before I would put them on social media is y'all are stuck with this. This is as good as it gets. Like when you're this age, you just stop trying. I just wonder if we've done the same thing with our theology. I wonder if we've done the same thing with our view of God. We have filtered out the parts of him that we don't like and we've turned up the parts that we do. And that's the God that we're trying to follow or serve. They just turned off on their own. That was terrifying. You're good. I think the power just lost to it. There it is. God's trying to get somebody's attention. What if we have so filtered our theology that it's no longer actually Him? Because we look at God and we're like, oh, steadfast love? Ooh, turn that brightness up on that. I like His love. Justice. That means punishment for bad stuff. Turn that sucker the whole way off. Oh, wait, but people do bad things to me and I want justice for them. Okay, I'm going to turn it back up a little bit. His righteousness? I want good in the world. Oh, that means I have to examine my goodness. We're going to turn that down a little bit. Okay, that's the God I'm going to worship. And we end up with this filtered, false view of who God really is. And then we wonder why he's hard to trust. Or why we don't feel super uh, drawn to to sing his praise. When maybe God's trying to push through the filters and just reveal the real self to him to us this summer. Shine a light on who he really is. And I get it. What if I'm not good enough? What if he demands too much of me? What if I'm not fully accepted? I get it. I just believe that if you'll see the real him, You'll trust Him and you'll love Him.
So we want to spend this summer growing in our understanding and personal knowing of God. That's our goal this summer. Close with this thought. This uh, this summer we're also doing a remodel here in this building on foyer in, in the auditorium. And uh, we, we shared that with you a couple weeks ago. Um, but there's something pretty cool I want to share with you this morning. Uh, in this remodel, we're doing some stuff that we desperately need to do. It's so ironic that the lights just turned off. Uh, one of the major reasons we're doing a remodel is you see none of these actual can lights work. And if you notice, half of the stage lights don't work and all this technology is so outdated we can't even get replacement bulbs for it. So lighting is a is part of the remodel <laughs> so that stuff like that doesn't happen. Um, which I am selfishly really excited about because these are so hot and they won't be, the new ones will be LED. Thank you, Jesus. Our power bill is going to go down. Thank you, Jesus. So lighting is part of it. Um, I have a black ceiling that will help with the lighting as well and new carpet and new chairs and uh, doing some stuff on the stage here so that we can get uh, some more seats in the room, trying to make a better use of stage here, raising the ceiling in the foyer so it doesn't feel like such a little hallway cavern in there and some really cool stuff. But we are not in the real estate business here. Temple Baptist Church is not in the property business. We are in the people business. The only reason we're trying to update some stuff and fix some stuff is trying to make the building look a little more like the version of church that we are and and how we do life and try to take care of the stuff. But we're in the people business. And I've said that every time we've done any kind of remodel anywhere on campus for the last 12 years, we're in the people business. But something really cool happened this week. This week we did the first major thing in our remodel. And I bet most of you haven't noticed it. Um, we, we resurfaced our baptistry this week. It's no longer pale blue. It's white, if you notice that. Uh, brownie points, if you happen to notice it was a different color. Um, that, that's the first thing we did. And there's some really good news here. I'll tell you this. I, there were all kinds of like cracks and stuff in it. And I thought the whole thing was going to have to be replaced. Like for years, I've literally been terrified every time there's been a baptism that it's going to be like the walls of Jericho moment. That's a true story. Am I lying? Like every baptistry, I'm like, praise the Lord. Ah. Okay, it's over. <laughs> yeah. Um. But come to find out, it was just the surfacing. We had surfaced it with a material that didn't bond to the fiberglass. And they were like, no, this is in great shape physically. You just need to resurface it. That was really good news. Because did you know that church baptistries cost $8 billion? I learned that. So we were just able to resurface it. I just think it's so cool that Lance intentionally, strategically, was like the first thing we're doing in this remodeling is taking care of the place where people go public with crossing over from death into life. Isn't that awesome? The most awesome part of that is Lance didn't actually do that on purpose. It wasn't because he was so bought into the vision and mission of our church. It's just the people who showed up first. <laughs> Literally, the dude showed up this week. I guess it's raining because it's a pool company. And he showed up in the church office and said, I'm here to fix the pool. And Monica was like, I mean, I know we're remodeling, but we put in a pool. 
<laughs> all the baptistry. I think it's really cool that on accident we reinforced what our core value is as a congregation. That's just like God. This summer, we're not trying to grow in our understanding of facts about God. We're trying to grow in the connection of God and people. (laughs) That we know Him more in a personal way. That we've turned our attention and our thoughts towards Him for who He really is. And we're inviting you on that journey with us throughout this summer as we talk about who God is.